0: You might think that panic, feelings of restlessness, and sleepless nights are just a part of practicing law. But they're also symptoms of anxiety, which is a significant health problem in the profession. I'm Stephanie Francis Ford. And on today's Asked and Answered, we're talking about how lawyers can address their anxiety in a healthy way. Joining me is Will Meyerhofer, a New York therapist who's also a lawyer. Hi, well, Will. Well, welcome to the show.
1: It's good to be here.
0: Wonderful. Can you tell me, what are some signs, I think everyone probably has some anxiety at some time or another, but what are some signs that you should maybe think about getting some help with anxiety?
1: Well, you know, anxiety is such a primitive thing, really. It's so fundamental. Uh, it really, I, I think everybody recognizes it, really. Uh, although, you know, you do, it's funny, I, you do get these cases where people go running to the emergency room thinking they're having a heart attack. Sometimes it can be so severe and people can be so out of touch with it that sometimes you really don't, you know, realize what it is. But I mean, I think fundamentally when you're feeling anxious, it's one of those things that you just kind of recognize. I mean, the symptoms are, are so I mean, they're really sort of animal, you know? I mean, their anxiety really is uh, something that's rooted in our evolutionary past. You know, it's a it's a state of hypervigilance you go into when there's the prediction of something fearsome about to occur. You go into a preparedness. Like, it really is like a mouse uh, will feel anxiety if there's a snake around, you know? And so, you know, the things you would expect really... Uh, uh, you know, your breathing uh, rate will quicken and you'll break into a sweat. I mean, often I'll realize I'm anxious when, uh, you know, my underarms and my shirt are soaked or something like that, you know, but the sort of things you'd expect, you know, racing pulse and uh, often sleeplessness, that sort of thing. I mean, really acute anxiety can just be immensely unpleasant. I mean, you, you feel like your chest is clutching up and you can't breathe. And it really, what it is, it's, it's this very primitive part of the your brain is actually in the sort of early sort of uh center of your brain. Uh same thing that's inside of the mouse, same thing that's inside of a lizard, really saying there's danger here. Prepare yourself. Don't be taken by a surprise, you know. Be ready for this danger. And uh, that's what we call anxiety.
0: So Everyone has anxiety. It certainly is a natural thing. What about though, I do think for some people it kind of takes over their lives or maybe if you're having like panic attacks multiple times a week, then maybe it's time to look for some ways to deal with it in a healthy way. Would you agree?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, uh, anxiety is immensely unpleasant. It's one of those things where, um, probably more than anything. It's what leads people to my office really, because it's just so unpleasant. I mean, people know how unpleasant it is. They're experiencing it. They they, they need to take care of it. You know, I think, um, I mean, if you've ever had like a real, you know, a bad anxiety attack, or I guess what really would rise the level of a panic attack, then, uh, absolutely you're going to have to do something about it. And I think you'll realize it, really, because it's, it's just so unpleasant.
0: Well, what are some starting points for thinking? I don't like this. It's unpleasant. I want to make some changes. What are some starting points to think about about how you can make changes?
1: Well, you know, there there are really sort of uh, four approaches to dealing with anxiety. Um, You know, if you really sort of boil it down, one of which is the Meyerhofer patented fourth one. Uh, (laughs) You know, the first one is the sort of wellness and exercise approach, you know, to try to, you know, relieve the anxiety by, you know going for a run that kind of thing hit the gym do some yoga you know maybe just a meditation all this sort of wellness stuff you know and it's hard to argue with that because how do you argue with wellness right i mean uh, sure absolutely for heaven's sake do it i think everyone should have you know a physical discipline of some sort in their life some sort of a exercise or meditation that they do that uh, you know myself i i lift weights and i go for runs and i find it very helpful really gets me centered it, it reduces uh, anxiety it re- releases endorphins. In a weird way, it's almost like medication, but it's a sort of a natural medication for your body. Yes. And it also gets you out of your head. You know, it takes you to a different place. Like you go for a long run or you meditate or do yoga. Um, so, th- you know, that's one solution. I, I think the danger there is, um, first of all, you can get a little luxury. It can get a little bit like, you know, you should get to the gym more, that kind of thing. Um, and there are real concerns for some lawyers. I mean, they're working these crazy hours. And, you know, they, you know if you're doing back-to-back all-nighters, you know it it's hard to get to the gym it's hard to get to that yoga class it's hard to you know and it also might seem like a a drop in the ocean you know I mean you have all of this anxiety inducing stuff going on your whole life is making you nuts, and you know someone's like, well, why don't you do yoga for half an hour and you're thinking, well uh, you know this is may not really be all I need here The second approach we're doing our four approaches here would be to medicate you know to go for drugs and um It certainly sounds sensible. It sounds like a good answer, right? I mean, it's uh, I'll take a pill and I'll feel better. Um, And you don't have to, you know, bother putting on your running clothes and going out and running. Well, it's hard
0: to find the right medicine for anxiety though, right? And a lot of them tend to be, you can be addicted to them fairly easily.
1: Yeah. It's a little bit like taking sleep medication. You have that weird feeling. This isn't quite the right way to fall asleep—it it doesn't really feel like sleep. It feels like somebody bonking over the head with a brick. And <laughs> if you keep taking it, it doesn't really work that well. So there's also, and then there's that creepy sort of, "God, am I going to get dependent on this feeling?" Which um, you know, so I mean, you have really all of that. I mean, with with the medications, uh, typically uh, anti-anxiolytics—they're called or anti-anxiety medications—are the benzodiazepine class of drugs and. You know, everybody knows what these drugs are. Uh, if I use a word like Valium or Xanax or Klonophen, you know, everybody goes, oh, yeah, right, sure. You know, Everybody's either taken one or knows someone who's taken them. And probably also has some inkling about the dangers. Uh, they can be addictive. Uh, they might not be effective over time. Uh, and then some of the other drugs like the antidepressants that are prescribed also for anxiety like um, Lexapro, you know, people mm-hmm. talk about that. Um, You know, again, side effects, not everybody wants to go on them. And there is that kind of, you know, sense of, you know, maybe there's an underlying problem we have to address here. Maybe just taking a pill isn't the way to deal with this, you know.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: And then, you know, that gets us to sort of the approach number three, which is, um, you know, a psychotherapy approach, uh, which, you know, pretty much with anxiety, people tend to go towards cognitive behavioral therapy because it's been shown to be, you know, most effective and the idea there really is to sort of address the thoughts, to sort of take our sort of more evolved human brain, the part of, that thinks, like the cerebral cortex to be technical, and, um, and have it kind of get in touch with that primitive inner brain which, where the emotions reside, the amygdala. And, and basically what, what the smart brain is saying to the primitive brain is, hey, what are you so upset about? Is this real or not? You know? uh, so what you're doing is you're identifying the thought, the prediction that triggers the anxiety and then you're um, reality testing that prediction. So the question really is, gosh, what am I so scared about? Is this real? I mean, is there really something? I mean, what's the worst case scenario here? And I think people kind of do this instinctively. You know, they ask, you know, what am, I, what am I freaking out about? My God, I'm having, You know, I can't even breathe. I'm sweating. I'm panicked. You know, what? What has got me so upset? And uh, sometimes, you know, just kind of checking in and saying, you know, okay, you know, maybe I won't have this thing done by deadline. Is it the end of the world? You know, you, know, you can calm yourself down. And they call that, you know, basically the soothing counter thought. You know, you uh, basically come up with a thought like, you know, like, you know, if you're having a panic attack in a plane because you think it's going to crash, you can say, well, you know, is this rational? How often do planes crash? Not very often. You know, it's it's one in a million. Calm down, for heaven's sake. You know, everything will be fine. You've been on a million planes. Everyone flies on planes. You know, it's that kind of thing where you just kind of address the the thought with a counter thought. And um, I guess it's based on the sort of notion that you know if. Tonight you went and there were two movies playing at the cinema, you know, and you decided to go see, you know, Death by the Slasher 3, you know, Night of Blood. Or in the other one, there's fuzzy panda, smiley, happy kid film. And you have a choice between showing yourself, the, you know, the movie that's going to have you up all night terrified <laughs> or the fuzzy, happy panda, bouncy kid movie which is going to have you smiling and feeling oh you know and essentially in your own brain there's a cinema and you can play different thoughts to yourself and you, know, you can scare yourself to death or you can calm yourself down you know mm-hmm. and so you know you do a lot of sort of training and cognitive behavioral where you say hey you know what's making you so tense what's getting you so upset well you know come on isn't there another thought that you can run that would be a little more sensible a little more rational that maybe would calm you down and let you know let you get your work done uh, one thing you know about anxiety is that it uh, affects your cognition uh, in the sense that if I mean we all know this sort of intuitively that if you're anxious you're going to do badly on the exam right if you right. go in there you know all freaked out I always tell people rather than getting all nervous because you've got a big test coming up take a deep breath calm down and kind of make it no big deal you know try to sort of make it normative okay. Got an exam, do some studying. We know how to do this. No problem.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's one thing to say that. How Ooh. do you help people to actually do that?
1: See, this is why we get to uh, approach number four—the patented Meyerhofer. What to do with? Uh, I have been waiting
0: I, for approach number four. Yes, I know. You know Hit what?
1: It. You say there's an approach number four. That's the patented one, and everybody wants to get to it. So <laughs> uh, here's you know here's the problem. With, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of, you know, presenting these approaches and then, you know, knocking them over. Uh, you know, uh, the problem with this one is that, you know, what if there's a real problem here? You know, I mean, and this is why, you know, approach number three here, the psychotherapy with a cognitive behavioral approach, doesn't always work. You know, uh, the point is that you're sort of convincing yourself that there's really nothing to be afraid of and calming down and saying, okay, okay, calm down, come on, reality test, right? But, you know, some things are scary and some things um, are to be afraid of, you know. And um, and then you need to take sort of a stronger approach. And I think, you know, in short, what the fourth Meyerhofer patented approach is realizing that this primitive anxiety impulse really relates to the fight or flight in impulse. So, it, what I'm saying is instead of flight, you go to fight, you know? And essentially, what you do is you fight back. You take the fear and you turn it into anger and you say, you know what, I'm not going to live like this. And I can't tell you how many lawyers have said to me, finally, you know, well, I'm not going to live like this. Nothing is worth this, nothing is worth living with constant, pounding, terrifying anxiety. I mean, I just no way, you know. And uh, and I agree with them. And I say, OK, great. So we're going to fight back. What are we going to do? And uh, they say, well, you know, I'm going to get the hell out of here. You know, I'm going to get out of this firm that's making me nuts or get out of this job. And it may be that it's just the wrong job. It may be it's the wrong firm. It may be it's the wrong partner you're working for. And you have to put your foot down and say, darn it, I can't do this. And uh, maybe you want to get out of law. You know, I have had a lot of people who just say, "Nope." You know, I'm getting out entirely. This was a mistake. I'm going to do something where um, I don't have to live with this anxiety.
0: I'm thinking as you say that if you have a job that really causes you anxiety, that probably is a sign you need to go do something else if you have that choice. And I guess that's
1: that's just that's it. the yeah. rub. A lot of lawyers feel like, "Hey, I'm two hundred thousand dollars in debt. I'm lucky I got this job. I don't really have the choice." And I guess at some point they come to the conclusion, you know what, I have to have the choice because they can't do it. You know, it's uh, anxiety is your body telling you that you're really scared of something. And uh, sometimes it makes sense to listen to it. You know, I mean, it's there for a reason, right? I mean, it, it evolved to keep us away from things that are dangerous for us.
0: Do you think that there's a lot of anxiety in the profession because it drives people who are prone to anxiety or it's the nature of the profession that causes the anxiety?
1: Well, they sort of go hand in hand I think I uh, people go into law because they're a certain kind of person I, I usually label it a pleaser you know uh, they're the kids who got good grades they're, they're they're good kids they're easy to raise if you have a little lawyer you're probably a happy parent you know parents have it in their mind that what they want is an obedient kid who does well in school right I mean that, that's sort of almost a no brainer right it's just a truism you know is that a good kid yes it's a good kid he does well in school he listens to me he obeys so what we've done really is posited that a good kid you know in quotes here is a a compliant child who wants to please us who wants to make us happy and probably will do that in the most obvious way by simply succeeding in the classroom because that's what kids do you get a grade and you go running to mom and dad and say hey look i got an a you know And, you know, how do you get into law? Well, you have good grades. You know, you're, you're, you know, for starters, right? Uh, Most lawyers are people who did well in school and they figure, uh, you know, hey, I can turn that into um, fame and fortune. I can turn it into prestige and I can turn it into money uh, by going to law school and and competing, competing, competing to be the best and, uh, you know, maybe succeed as a lawyer. So, you know, you have this type of person going in. And then they get into an environment where, uh, you know, and some of this is just the times we live in. Uh, there are there are just too many lawyers for one thing. Um, and that has sort of created a distortion. You know, I, the schools were making a lot of money teaching lawyers um, and that created a sort of bubble of lawyers. Uh, you know, I was at NYU as a law student and I think NYU law was the single most profitable part of the university. It was bringing in Immense amounts of money. And uh, that's because it doesn't cost very much to teach law. You don't need a classroom. You don't need, it's not like medical school, you need cadavers or dentistry school where you need, you know, uh, laboratories and, and chairs and all this. I mean, law is just taught in a big lecture for the most part. With uh, somebody standing there giving, you know, a lecture to about 100 kids and that's law, you know, and for that lecture, you're paying maybe $200 an hour. So anyway, this, this created what we all sort of, I don't know, you can call it the uh, legal industrial complex or whatever, but it created too many lawyers at the end of the day. And so it became an incredibly competitive uh, profession. And also the you know, money is the problem here. Uh, the billable hour has become uh, kind of a nightmare, and even beyond the billable hour, there's this profit for partner uh, business where uh, the firms pride themselves. I mean, the prestige of the firm, let's face it, is usually established by this list of you know the profits per partner, starting with you know the top most profitable firm. But how do you create profits for partner? Well, you don't hire that many lawyers, and you work the ones you have twice as hard, so that it you know you have higher profits for each human body in the firm. And uh, that led to I mean, one of the problems here is nobody gets any sleep, you know? Uh, another pr- uh, problem is everyone is incredibly competitive. Uh, they all want to make partner. Uh, in what other business can you go into? What other field or profession where you start your first job with the knowledge that um, first of all, you're lucky if you even get the job. Maybe half the kids in your house aren't going to get a job. But then you arrive, at a place where after five years, I think it's something like 80 percent of your class will have failed and dropped out or gone somewhere else or, you know, I mean, that, that, that's pretty damning, right?
0: So. You know, I'm thinking about what you're saying, and I'm curious, going back to you saying that a lot of people who go to law school are pleasers looking for approval. I also think about the alpha types in law um and there's probably less of those but they're definitely Ooh. out there you know they're trying cases they're the lead rainmakers have you noticed for the alpha types it seem to have a lot of success at the firm they find that fits for them do they have anxieties too do you think like the pleasers or have they just kind of they have the confidence they've kind of busted past that and maybe they're not as worried you
1: know, I think, you know, there are those people, those sort of odd ducks who flourish in law. You know, I've worked mm-hmm. with partners at some of the big firms, and, you know, I, I hate to say it, but if you're really, really that troubled by anxiety, it probably means you're in the wrong environment. You know, mm-hmm. the, the lawyers, I mean, there are. Um, you know law's kind of for odd ducks and these these areas of law are also for odd ducks like particularly odd ducks like it takes a very special kind of person i think to be a prosecutor now it's very prestigious to be a prosecutor and some people fight for the job simply because it's there and because hey it looks great on your resume but in real life you know not everybody's a prosecutor i don't think everybody can be a plaintiff side lawyer i don't think everybody can be you know a legal defense attorney um, some people
0: can't even try cases
1: yeah, I mean, a courtroom lawyer. Now there isn't talk you know, about
0: anxiety.
1: Yeah, really, right? If you're the kind of person who isn't cool, you know, and can't perform in public or something, I mean, it's kind of like you know, don't get on stage and be a rock star if you, you know, if that isn't where you feel comfortable. I think you know, you look at someone like Michael Jackson, right? He, he looks perfectly at ease on stage, or he did, you know, probably because he was cut out for that. I think you or I would get up there, we'd, you know, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I probably wouldn't, you know, flourish the way Michael Jackson did. So you know, some of this is just, for heaven's sake, don't go into a job where, you know, you probably aren't really at your best or don't feel comfortable, you know.
0: For the younger lawyers or even people in law school, what are some things to think about in terms of maybe crafting a career for yourself within what you were offered with something that doesn't cause you a lot of anxiety? You know, before break, we talked about how panicked some people get about going to trial.
1: Yeah, the absolute starting place is just to make sure you really want to do this. You know, I I just literally talked to a lawyer Oh, an hour ago, you know, in my office right here. And uh, he was saying, you know, gosh, I went into law because I was studying history, but I thought law was more practical. It seemed like it would make me money and it seemed like my uncle did it and he was really rich. And so the family was kind of thinking, yeah, I go to law school. But in retrospect, I mean, now he's in big law in New York and um, wants to get out. He's been there two years and he's having panic attacks. Um, he was sort of self-medicating with alcohol. Um, these are kind of stories I hear all the time. you know I think the answer, you know to him was clear, which is, I should have thought about this more, you know, going into it, I should have asked myself, you know, why am I becoming a lawyer again? I mean, he said that it felt, and again, this is something I hear all the time, that it would just kind of take care of itself, you know, that he had this idea that, you know, you go to law school and they say they're, I mean, I literally was told this by the dean of my law school, you know, we'll teach you to think like a lawyer, which sounds a little bit like, um, they'll remove my brain and put a lawyer's brain back into my head, screw my skull back on and I'll be a lawyer, you know, and you think, oh great, this is terrific. You know, some I still remember being sworn in to the bar in New York State, and the judge saying, "Stand up, candidates," and then giving us this. Uh, I guess we had to take a pledge or, or something like that. And then he said, "Sit down, attorneys," and I thought, "I'm an attorney now." The magic fairy dust has happened, you know. Um, the problem is, it, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you have to really. Uh, look at who you are, because that's the, where your success uh, at law is going to come from. If in fact this is really for you, you know, I mean, do are you really into this? You know, and and this is the problem. I mean, how do you find out? And and you know, some lawyers are like, well, should I paralegal or should I? You know, and I think of the old days when you know Abraham Lincoln was learning to be a lawyer, and in those days you rode around the circuit with an attorney, I guess, some older guy, and you know uh, he let you prepare some documents and he let you do some simple things in court, and then some. Point, I guess, in time they decided you were a lawyer, and that was it. You passed the bar, you know. They, you were allowed to go up in front of the judge and, and do what he'd been doing in front of you and showing you how to do. You know. Nowadays we just go off to school, and 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 there's a loss there. There's a loss of a kind of an experiential testing time uh, to figure out. You know, am I really cut out for this? Uh, so I, I guess you know you know right off the top of my head, I a lot of law students or people considering law school, I'd say you probably shouldn't go because I think there are probably too many. Lawyers in this uh, country, and too many law schools. Um, just you know, unless you're absolutely dedicated, just you know, this is absolutely your what you must do in life. You know, I must be a lawyer. You know, think long and hard about it because you know, according to the figures, you know, half the lawyers getting out of school aren't finding jobs. You know, and then if you really do love law, I mean, let's talk about why. You know, why is this going to make you happy? I mean, do you love arguing? Do you love writing? I mean, uh, one of my clients was saying the other day, you know, lawyers are oddballs, uh, at least a litigator she works with. You know, she's like, you know, we spend most of the, the day locked in our office um, writing really complicated, hard stuff, you know, writing these very um, kind of complex arguments with a lot of details. She loves it. She's kind of introverted and she's got the head for it and she's – I think she's going to be a partner. She's really a – you know, terrifically successful and really a natural lawyer, but an awful lot of people, you know, that that's a pretty, <laughs> that might sound a little kooky and it might not sound like that much fun to you. And of course, some people have a very crazy idea of what being a lawyer is going to be like. They really do think it's going to be Perry Mason. I mean, they really have this idea that, you know, I mean, it seems naive, you know, to a lawyer, but I mean, you know, as a, as a kid going to law school, you might think, yeah, you're going to be in court every day, you know, saving the world. And, um, I guess just a reality check-in, you know, about the job. Even if you just went and job shadowed a lawyer, you know, asked somebody if you could follow them to work or talk to them about what they do. uh, It might be a great way of making sure this is really for you.
0: Let's go back a bit. You mentioned, and I think this ties in with what you just said, that uh, the young man whose uncle was a lawyer made a lot of money, so he decided to do it too. Um, I'm curious about how much in terms of anxiety in lawyers – what kind of role do their families play because you know we talk a lot about the job causing you stress but i mean you know if your parents dream was for you to be a lawyer you know and you're coming home for thanksgiving in a couple of weeks and you're hating your job and all they can do is tell their friends how their son's a lawyer and they're so proud of him well
1: yeah it's really really tough i mean you really hit the nail on the head i mean there's a few things i see one is I mean, I have a young uh, person I work with, and uh, he's now, I think, almost two years out of school and can't find a job. And his debt, you know, something like, you know, it's usually, I mean, literally, I, it, lawyers will understand that this isn't anything out of the norm. It's about maybe $240,000, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's all of, what, 25 or something, 26. And, and this and, goes back
0: to that people-pleasing thing, mm-hmm. too. You know, if you've always been the best and the brightest and you can't find a job,
1: it's that's pretty hard
0: rough. to deal with when you're 28. Well, a, time, but
1: yeah, I have a lot. I think in his case, and I hear this all the time, uh, family paid for it. You know, the idea was, you know, we'll help you out. Don't worry about it. You can pay us back, or we'll split it. You know, we're just so proud of you for going to law school, and you know, with a law degree, you'll always be set. You'll always find work. You'll always be okay. You know, all this kind of thing. You know, all you have to do is be a good kid. They're helping you out. You're going to go to law school. <laughs> you know, and you're going to get it, get a job, and show the world. You know, and he he can't even get a foot in the door, and it's causing him. Immense anxiety, you know, and uh, it's so what really can
0: you do there. Can you just have a real honest chat with your whoever in the family is saying they say, you know, I love you. I appreciate your support. The truth is, this isn't working out for me. We need to let it go.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes the parents are like that. Sometimes, I mean, you know, but you you run. I mean, they really—it's hard. You really want to make them happy. You know, a lot of these kids are maybe immigrants, or maybe they're the first, you know, in their family to get a law degree, or you know, the opposite. Maybe there are all these lawyers in the family from a generation earlier who, you know, it was a different market, it was a different time, and and so it's it's really hard when you're a pleaser and you're just finding yourself sort of unable to please, you know. So that that's really hard. And and oof, you know, I I see that. I see the kids who um, when they do get a job, it's you know a poorly paying. Job. Job or a job that's just so unpleasant, frankly. You know, some of these, um, not even just the doc review gigs, some of the, like the insurance defense gigs where you're, you know, you have these 2,200 hour billable requirements, but it's very hard to do that because you can only bill standard amounts for each task and you're flooded with work and, you know, you're just, you feel like a hamster on a wheel just trying to keep up, you know? Uh, so, you know, that those kids are very anxious. I've got a bunch of people in that situation. And then, you know, the people who go, I could give you example after example of, you know, people with, you know, a whole lot of this bearing down on them, trying to figure out what they're going to do.
0: But I would imagine you probably find repeatedly, for people who have this real tough anxiety and they start being honest with themselves and okay. honest with others about it, do they yeah. oftentimes feel, you know, it's a hard conversation, but they probably feel a lot better once they finally had it.
1: Yeah, I actually have a group now with a bunch of lawyers in there and they it's such a relief to just talk to other lawyers and have you know this i mean i always urge lawyers to to take that risk of opening up i mean you know in a law firm it's very competitive when i was in big law we were busy trying to make partner and hoping all the other ones would fall by the wayside you know mm-hmm. but in reality these are your allies really these are your peers and there's nothing better and even i you know <laughs> found myself a few times going into somebody's office closing the door and just talking you know and just saying wow this is hard huh i don't mm-hmm. know how i'm doing here i'm really anxious and boy what a relief to to just you know find someone else and, and share about it it's It's you know I get a lot of fan mail. I'm trying to sort of, I don't want that to sound like puffery, you know what I mean? (laughs) Because my fan mail is different from most people's fan mail. I mean, no fan mail is nice, you know. You're getting a letter saying, "Hey, Mr. Meyerhofer, I read your book and you know blah blah blah, it was great." But it's different when I get fan mail because my fan letters are more like, "I was so miserable, I was crying in my office. You know, I didn't know what to do." I got your book. Thank you. You understand, you know, and I think, well, you know, this is the kind of fan. I, I talked to my, my partner about this, you know, uh, my husband, and he, uh, you know, he laughs. It's like, yeah, it's one of your fan letters. You know, it's a sobering fan letter. You know, it's it's basically saying, hey, thanks for being there and admitting that you had a tough time. I, I wrote one piece called I Suck at Law, you know, which is a pretty silly title for an article, but it was me basically saying, look, I was near the top of my class at NYU. I went to a top firm, but at some level, this wasn't right for me. And it was causing me a lot of, of stress and, and upset and anxiety. And, and that article has had, I don't know, 20,000 reads or something, probably hundred thousand reads. I don't know. I haven't checked lately, but, but, uh, people clicked with that. Somebody just admitting that they're human and that they're unhappy, that that's a, it helps a lot. Mm. So, you know, maybe and, if just me being here and saying, hey, you know, I went through this, guys. I know what it's like. You know, I've had people in my office say, boy, it's just good to hear you say you went through it, too.
0: And let's talk a bit. Let's say you do have a conversation with yourself and mm. you kind of get your anxiety in check and you have a flare up. You know, something else comes up maybe a couple of months or a couple of years down the down the road. Do you mm-hmm. have advice for anxiety flare ups of lawyers?
1: Well, you know, I mean, the real question here is if, if this is like continuing high level anxiety probably you need to get angry and you need to change the environment you you need to make a real big change if it's sort of a more of a sort of situational thing where you know say you have stage fright you know in a courtroom or something like that that you know that's a different thing that's kind of a situational kind of you know thing that you know some people work with you know hypnotherapists some people just honestly take a xanax before they go into court you know seriously Sure, why not? I mean, some people <laughs> do genetics before a, a law school exam, you know, some people get exam anxiety, okay. right? You know, and the real question here is, is this something where you need to really change fundamentally the environment? Because it's creating anxiety, and there's nothing we can really do about that. Or is this something where, you know, maybe going for a run will calm you down and you're just fine? Or maybe, you know, doing some psychotherapy and just learning to isolate the thought and all that is enough, you know? And um, I guess it, it's the severity of the anxiety, uh, that's really the factor there.
0: Okay. And, you know, we've talked about the things you can do to help them with exercise, getting sleep, changing mm-hmm. your situation if it just doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. I would imagine being kind to yourself would figure in a lot with dealing with anxiety in a healthy way.
1: Would, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. There's such, it's so important to like you know, the thing about being a pleaser is it's very sort of outwardly directed I mean, pleaser really starts when you're a little kid. You know, little baby animals need to please the, uh, the parent because otherwise, you know, they won't survive. You know, that babies are designed to please us. They smile at us and they coo and they say da-da and we love them and we take care of them. You know, if they weren't cute, maybe we wouldn't and they'd be in trouble, you know. But at some point in adulthood, you realize that, you know, there's something infantile about that, that we really at some point we have to please ourselves, right? I mean, we have to be okay with who we are um, you know, a lot of lawyers tell me they feel like they're leading someone else's life. They feel like an imposter. They feel like a fake. I had somebody this morning, one of my clients said, You know, I felt like a fake. I felt like, you know, I had the law degree and I was here, but it wasn't really who I was. It's like I'm pretending to be a tax lawyer, but I'm really not. I'm really this person wondering what I want to be when I grow up because this doesn't feel right. Uh, so, you know, at some point you have to accept yourself as who you really are and, 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 and allow yourself to live authentically, to not be an imposter, but to really say, hey, this is who I really am. Now I'm going to change the life around me to suit me instead of, you know, the opposite. I think when I was a lawyer, a lot of lawyers tell me this. You're changing yourself to suit them. You know, you're wearing the suit and you're going in in the morning and you're working all night and you're trying to be – God. You know, so many lawyers tell me this, that – that you become this very serious person, you know, and uh, I was a very serious, very, you know, uh, kind of one guy said to me, you know, they turned me into a son of a bitch, but I'm not a son of a bitch, you know? <laughs>
0: well, that's what happens though. And I think it, it spills over to your home life too. If you're married or have a significant ever, it's like you act like a jerk at work and then it comes home and you just take yourself really seriously.
1: Yeah, you really. I, I had this one attorney, boy. She was something. She scared me. I think she. You know, she was one of the big firms, and she came in, in a gray suit, you know, and was very, very serious. And now we just laugh about it, you know. I was said to her <laughs> one point, I said, "You know, when you first walked in here, I was scared of you." And she's like, "Yeah, I think I was a little scared of myself, you know." And now she's uh, actually, she's out on the west coast. Uh, she moved back where she wanted to live, and she's training to be a teacher. She's going to be a school teacher. She, I think she's going to be a science teacher. And
0: oh wow. She's,
1: yeah it's really she's really a neat lady and you know it's been a long journey work together for 2 or 3 years and she's flourishing she sort of gave herself permission to be what she really was which is um, you know she wants to i don't know coach soccer and teach science and she's real happy wow but that was a long journey for her that was I, I could tell you 10 of those stories you know people i've worked yeah. with and boy yeah. she was an anxious wreck and now she's you know kind of as my grandmother used to say happy as a clam <laughs>
0: And on that note, that's everything I had to ask you today, Will. Did you want to add anything else?
1: Well, I guess I just want to sort of, I often say to people, they come in and, you know, people are funny. They don't come to a therapist until they really need it, you know, like I'm a wreck. So now I can justify the self-indulgence of, you know, of going to a therapist's office. And and I I tend to say to them, look, you know, this is going to be a journey. It's going to be a process, but it's going to be okay. There's nothing coming that you can't handle. And this story has a happy ending. I've been in this business a long time. I've worked with hundreds of lawyers and I've seen people go and, you know, into flourish, you know, some of them stay in law, but go in. I have one guy who just became a editor at a legal publication and he is so excited, you know, <laughs> uh, cause he likes law, you know, he likes the puzzle of it. He's, you know, But he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like the hours and all that stuff. So he's going to take a pay cut. He's, he's just, he's going to be great for him. He really is. I have another person who went off and uh, moved to a smaller city, and uh sort of followed her passion she's a running person and she got into the sports industry you know in an illegal position but in something that she really loves and so you know there are answers there are ways out it it can seem um, i think one of the things that really heightens anxiety is that feeling of being trapped that we just don't have a way out and i guess i you know i just want to sort of be that soothing therapist voice that says it's going to be okay i'm, I'm old and i'm gray and i'm wise and i've worked with a lot of people and you're going to be okay too this, this story right. has a happy ending
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening to us. I'm Stephanie Francis Ward, and you've been listening to the AVA Journals Asked and Answered.